cultivate our motivation. And again, recognizing the rarity of having this precious human life. And we can do that by thinking of how difficult it is to create the causes for it. So we need good ethical conduct to just have an upper rebirth. And then we need some practice of the other uh, far-reaching practices in order to create the other causes for a precious human life. And if we look just even at the principal cause, keeping good ethical conduct, is that easy to do? Do many people do it? When we read the newspapers every day, we see that there's an awful lot of unethical conduct going around. And to actually, you know, live a life with pure ethical conduct is not so easy. There's our mind that wants to lie and fudge. And then there's the peer pressure from others to get ahead. And there's the often general society norm that do whatever you can get away with, just don't get caught, and that's okay. And so we see in the midst of this to actually restrain our body, speech, and mind from negativity is not so easy and not necessarily widely done. And so just creating the cause for an upper rebirth takes some effort. Not to mention creating the other causes for a precious human life. But today, somehow we have that precious human life indicating that we've created those causes in the past. We know it's difficult to create them in the future. So having this present opportunity, it's very important that we use it wisely. And that we really make good choices. And think about the meaning of our life, the purpose of our life. The effects of our actions on ourselves in the future, the effects of our actions on other living beings. And so to help us create good ethical conduct for the future, we generate the altruistic intention to become Buddhists for the benefit of sentient beings. And so clearly that means not harming them. And not harming them is the meaning of ethical conduct. with that in mind then we'll listen to the establishments of the four mindfulnesses this evening.
So when we do any of the Lamrim meditations, you know, like this one, um, the rarity and difficulty of having a precious human life, you can do it from different perspectives. We can do it from now, looking in the past and saying, wow, I created the cause for this, and really think about the different causes of ethical conduct and then generosity and fortitude and joyous effort, meditative stabilization, wisdom, you know, compassion and so forth. And to think, wow, I created that in the past and I have this opportunity now and really think of what this opportunity brings us and rejoice at whatever we did in the past that created this opportunity and get that sense of, oh, my precious, my present life is really very precious, very rare, and so I want to use it wisely and kindly. So we can do the meditation in that way, from the present, looking back to the past, helping us to make a strong determination to, to really live this life uh, in the fullest Dharma way possible. Another way to do the meditation is to do it from the present, looking to the future, saying these are the causes of a precious human life in the future, and have I created them in this life? And then we start looking at our ethical conduct and, you know, how well do we keep our precepts? Do we really, you know, create the cause for a good, uh, you know, a good life in the future? And what are the societal pressures we face? What's this, you know, the general societal standard? What's expected from our family? What kind of pressure do we have on us to act in non-virtuous ways or how do we get carried away by associating with bad friends to act in unethical ways and then really thinking about that in terms of well do I am I creating now the causes for the to have another precious human life in the future and if we are then encourage us to con- ourselves to continue to do so but if we aren't then really say oh you know I better be more careful Okay, so do you see how, you know, with any meditation, you can do it in many different ways. You can do this in terms of a meditation on compassion for other sentient beings and really think, you know, how many sentient beings on our planet are keeping good ethical conduct. And this is only one of the causes for a precious human life. You know? and, and how many people are actually doing that and how many people aren't. And, you know, of even the people who try to keep good ethical conduct, you know, how often do we fudge, how often do we become lax and unconscientious, and so on. Okay? So there's a lot of different places where you can take a, uh, any one of the Lamrim meditations. So every time you do it, you know, you do it in a different way, and you can, you know, lead yourself in a different way to really understand this meditation and to understand the other Lamrim meditations in the context of this meditation. Because when you think about the rarity of having a precious human life, and then let's say you think about the qualities of a Buddha, then you think, whoa, you know, I have the possibility to develop those qualities with this life. Okay? So you, you see, you link it in with other meditations and use the meditations to really develop a, a very a whole integrated uh, understanding of, of how things fit together. Okay?
And then, you know, you can meditate, it, meditate on it, uh, you know, the conventional way like that. And then you can meditate on ethical conduct as a cause for precious human life in terms of uh, its ultimate nature and its emptiness and reflect on how it's empty, but it exists dependently. And, you know, how can it be empty and also function? And how can it be merely labeled and still function? And, you know, so really trying to put that together in, in your mind as well. Okay. So we're going to continue tonight uh, talking about feelings. You know, and remember, happy, unhappy, and neutral feelings. So not the usual way that feelings mean as emotions in the West. But feelings, happy, unhappy, and neutral. Okay, so we were going through chapter 9 of Shanti Deva, and we're on verse uh, 92. Okay. Therefore, this analysis is an antidote to that false notion of the true existence of feelings. The meditative concentrations that arise from the field of investigation are the food of yogis. Okay, so the antidote for all the misconceptions that grasp at truly existent feelings is the wisdom that realizes emptiness. And this wisdom arises from uh, probing awareness that really goes into the ultimate mode of existence of feelings and of everything that uh, the feelings depend upon. And this probing awareness has to be conjoined with serenity or shamatha so that we have the mental stability and peacefulness in the mind to be able to really go deep in our meditation without getting distracted. And when we reach a conclusion, to really focus single-pointed on that conclusion to help us integrate it in our mind. You know, Because often we, we get like a flash and we understand something and then 30 seconds later it's gone. Or we remember the words of it, but the feeling of it isn't there. Yeah, so we need the serenity to help us uh, stabilize that. Okay, so when skilled practitioners experience pleasure or happiness, um, they recognize that these feelings aren't truly existent and that they exist like dreams. So they don't get hung up on them. They avoid craving for those happy feelings to continue. They avoid getting fearful of those happy feelings ending. Um, they don't crave for the, the seemingly attractive objects that bring those happy feelings, but instead their mind stays very balanced. Yeah. It's very interesting. When we notice our feelings, we seem to get very attached to the object. Remember before we were saying that happy feelings and we get attached to, to one kind of object and unhappy feelings to another and neutral feelings to another. And yet, you know, and there's some confusion in our mind as if that feeling comes from that object, comes from the side of the object. But when we read, and, and so we get attached to the object, but when we really look at it, we're actually much more attached to the pleasurable feeling than we are to the object that causes us. Because if we didn't, if we didn't have the pleasurable feeling, we wouldn't be attached to the object. 
Okay, so it's the attachment to the pleasurable feeling that comes first and then the attachment to the object. And the same way with aversion to unpleasant things, you know, we're, uh, we think that, oh, I don't like this person or I don't like this situation. But actually, why don't we like them? Because we, we have aversion to the unpleasant feeling. If we didn't have aversion to that unpleasant feeling, we wouldn't have aversion to the object. Okay? So, uh, you know, it's interesting to look in our minds sometimes when some craving arises and we think, I need this, I need this, I need this. You know, I need to be with this person or I need this thing to eat or I need this situation or I need this object. And really check, is it that we need that object or are we craving the feeling that we associate with that object? And is there another way to create that feeling in our mind without depending on having to get that object? Because getting the object isn't always possible. You know? So I was saying 